Well, good morning again. Welcome to Twin Oaks Church. Hey, while you're getting settled, I do want to uh, invite the middle schoolers to stand up, and you are invited to go uh, with Alex back to your class. Um, but good morning. Glad you all are here today. Um, we're going to dive into the scriptures. So if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab that, uh, and we're going to use that. We've been uh, walking through the Gospel of John together over the last handful of months, um, and today we find ourselves back in chapter 8, John chapter 8, and we're going to be looking today at verses 12 through 30. Um, today what I'd like to do, I'd like to do something a little bit different though in, in our approach to this passage. Um, what I'd like to do um, is I want to go through the, the whole text, the 18 verses or so that we're going to look at. I want to go through it really fast. Okay, we're going to look at 12 through 30. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to make a couple of comments along the way. What I want us to do is get a, kind of a, an overview of what the narrative says, what the, what the passage says. And then what I want to do when we get an understanding of what's happening is I want to come back to verse 12 and I want to spend the rest of our time there. I want to spend the bulk of our time just in that one verse. And here's the reason why. is because in verse 12, Jesus is going to make this statement uh, in front of the religious leaders, in front of the crowd. He's going to make this, this statement and it is uh, explosive. It's just this dynamite. There's already this tension that's, that's between Jesus and the religious establishment of that day. There's already this tension that's there. And the statement that Jesus makes just erupts, it, it, that, this tension. It explodes, and there's this heated dialogue that happens between him and the, and the Pharisees. And so I think it's important that we take some time and we look at what that statement is. Uh, that his, what Jesus says in verse 12 demands some reflection. Okay? That makes sense? All right. Good. Well, let me pray for us as we dive in, and then we'll just begin reading our text. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the gift of the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to open them together freely, study them. We know that in them we are able to, to have a great picture of who you are and, and uh, understand what you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have an understanding. Uh, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this room today, that you would uh, illuminate your scriptures, God, that we might be able to see you for who you are, see, see what you've done, and that we might be able to respond to you in faith. God, I pray for every single person here. I, I, I'm confident, God, that this, there's no coincidence that they are here today. You, have them, you brought them here today for a reason. I just pray, God, that right where we are, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would lead us on, you would take us that next step in our journey towards you. God, I pray that every person here would experience the power of your presence with them. Lord, we love you. Thank you again for your word. Open our eyes, open our ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's get at it, John eight twelve. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along with one, you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. That way you can follow along. Uh, John eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, that's our big statement. That's, that's the explosive statement, and I'll explain to you why that's such a big deal in a few minutes. We're going to come back to that. Let's keep going. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So they, so they hear Jesus make this big claim. And then they respond to him, they, they deny it, and what they do is they think they have Jesus trapped here, because what they're, what they're doing is they're using Jesus' own words and they're twisting it to try to reject him, because back in chapter 5, if you remember, Jesus says, he says, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. That's what he said. In, in, in chapter 5, Jesus says, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Then Jesus makes this statement, and then the Pharisees say, you bear witness about yourself, your testimony is not true. Isn't that interesting? 
the Pharisees apparently are listening to Jesus, but they're not listening all that well because in chapter 5, when Jesus makes that statement, he also lists off a whole bunch of other witnesses that, that, that validate his testimony. Um, so what the Pharisees are doing is they take this one statement that Jesus made chapters earlier, they take it, they pull it out of context, they hijack this statement, and then they try to twist it and use it against him. Um, does that sound familiar to anyone? This is, this, this is the tactic used today. People will take one statement, or they'll take one verse, or they'll take one event, they'll take it out of the context of the scriptures, and then they'll twist it, and then they'll use it to reject Jesus. Um, by the way, just a little aside here. You might be here today, and you might be doing some investigation. You might be here, and you might be you know, looking into this whole Christianity thing, this whole Jesus thing. Let me say, first off, this is a great place to do that. This is a, a, a play, an environment that is non-judgmental where you can come and you can share your doubts and you can ask your questions. This is a great place for you to do some investigation. But here's what I want to challenge you with. Um, it's not if, but when you come across some scriptures that are a little difficult to understand or, or, or seem to kind of contradict this thing over here or, or, or just are hard to swallow, hard to accept, here's what I want to challenge you with. Don't just take that one confusing statement and then walk away. The, the stakes are too high. It's too important that we get to the, that we get to the bottom of, of whether or not Jesus actually is who he says he is. So here's what I want to challenge you with. Do a thorough investigation of the Scriptures. Do a thorough investigation of Jesus Christ. Um, and then at least, if, if at the end of that you still reject Jesus, at least you're rejecting him intelligently. You know, you, at least you've, you've, you've looked into the full weight of the claims. Here's what I actually want to challenge you with. If you're here and you're investigating, get into a community group. Because there's no better place for you to be in than a group of people where you can actually come and you can actually say, this does not make sense. That's, we have a, we have a, a, a men's group that meet, meets on Friday mornings. That's one of my favorite things about our group is that we can come. We're reading through the whole Bible together, and we're in the Old Testament. There's a lot of confusing things in the Old Testament. And we can come together and we can say, I don't like this story. I'm having a hard time making sense of this story. Uh, and then we're able to share it together and wrestle through it together. Here, that's my challenge to you. Rather than just taking, you know, hijacking one statement, being confused, and then using it to walk away, justification to walk away, do a thorough investigation, and that's done best within the context of loving relationships. That's my little rant. I'm sorry. Um, so Jesus makes this big claim. He says, I'm the light of the world. Uh, the Pharisees don't like that claim that he makes. They hijack a past statement that he, that he gives, and then they try to twist it to condemn him and to discredit him. And Jesus answered, verse 14, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I'm come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Basically, what Jesus is saying is he responds to them trying to, trying to twist his words and condemn him. He says, just for the record, guys, even if I am the only one who bears witness about my identity, just for the record, it would still be true because I know where I've come from, I know where I'm going, and I, and I don't need you or anyone else to validate me. I, I don't need, you know, he's, the religious leaders, that was part of their job as they validated whether or not something was true. He's like, I don't need your stamp of approval. I don't, religious leaders, I don't need your letter of reference. I am that I am. And the opinion of man neither detracts from me nor does it add to me. I am who I am. 
That being said, I'm not alone in my testimony. The Father bears witness about me. How does the Father bear witness to Jesus? I'll just mention two ways. We've talked about this about a month ago. First, the Father bears witness to Jesus through his teaching. Jesus Christ, in his ministry, he spoke in such a way that was altogether unworldly. I mean, it was just, we read time and time again after his teaching, the people will respond by saying, who is this? They say, who is this that teaches with such authority? And they're not saying, you know, look at this guy who, you know, who teaches like he's so well-read. You know, what school did he go? Did he, you know, this is a guy who was so well-educated. No, they said, this is a man who teaches with authority. In other words, this is a man who declares life and reality to us as if he is the author of that life and reality. That's what they're saying. There's this time back in, in John 7, if you remember when we went through it, um, where, where the Pharisees sent officers to go and arrest Jesus. The problem was the officers stopped and listened to Jesus for a couple of minutes before carrying out their orders. And so they, once they started hearing Jesus teach, they, they wouldn't touch him. And they came back to the Pharisees empty-handed, and the Pharisees said, where is he? Why didn't you bring him? And they said, no one ever spoke like this man speaks. No man has ever spoken like this man speaks, and they wouldn't touch him. Obviously, um, Jesus is, is validated by the Father because no one could teach like Jesus does unless God himself gives him the words. That's one way the Father bears witness about Jesus, through his teaching, but, but he, also, he also validates him by his deeds. No man could do the things that Jesus did unless God was acting in him and through him. In fact, also in John 7, we read that the people, the people look at Jesus and they say, basically, um, this Jesus doesn't look anything like the Messiah, we, what we thought the Messiah was going to look like. This Jesus doesn't fit our stereotype at all. But if the Messiah does come, how in the world could he do more than this man has done? How could he do more, a greater work than what this Jesus has done? Jesus tells these Pharisees, basically, I'm validated by the Father because of his obvious approval of me, because of his obvious work in me and through me, and because of our relationship with one another. He says, if you've seen, the, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And something I love here that John says, these claims that Jesus makes, I'm the light of the world, me and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father's bearing witness about me. These, these claims were so bold and so scandalous that John actually, right within the narrative, I love this, right in verse 20, you can see it. Right in verse 20, John actually stops the narrative and he says, and they didn't even arrest him. You know, it's like he stops in, in amazement. He has to pause and say, hey, can you believe it? They didn't even arrest him because it wasn't his time yet. That's how bold these claims were. That's how blasphemous, blasphemous these claims were if Jesus was not indeed who he said he was. Let's keep going. Verse 21, so he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. Listen, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is a harsh, this is a tough statement. Tough reality to face. But the, and the only thing I'm going to say about this section is this, that what this section brought to mind to me this week was the, the, the reality that time and opportunity is limited. Time and opportunity is limited. Friends, there are opportunities which come our way that will not return. To every man, woman, and child here, Jesus gives a chance to believe that he is the Son of God and that by believing in his name that you might have life. 
but that opportunity can be refused and it can be lost. Jesus says there's going to come a point when time and opportunity has passed. And, and by the way, none of us have any idea on what that, that limit is. None of us have any idea on when, when that time will come to an end. Um, and, and believe me, please, when I say that I'm not trying to scare anybody into placing their faith in Jesus. That's not it at all. That's, that's not my intention. But, but you have to, we have to realize that time is limited. Opportunities are limited. Um, therefore, that's why we preach the gospel here with, with such passion and, and a sense of urgency. That's why you're never going to come to a Sunday morning here where we won't mention the gospel, how to actually have life in the name of Jesus Christ. We preach the gospel here with a sense of urgency. Jesus here is speaking about, you know, he's, he's returning to the Father. He's returning to this glory. And he's telling those religious leaders that, that they can't follow him. Because he says, if you insist on, on opposing me, and if you, if you insist on remaining in your rebellion, and you refuse to repent and to come to me that you might have life, then you are shutting yourself off from God, not just here in the present, but on into eternity. Again, that's why we proclaim the gospel here with such a sense of urgency. That's why we don't just proclaim the gospel here, but why we go into our homes and into our neighborhoods and into our schools and into our workplaces, into the places where we live, work, and play, and we, we have to live out in the gospel. We have to speak the gospel because time is limited, isn't it? There's no time to waste. Verse 25, so they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Hear that? When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And by the way, I don't think that he's saying here that at his crucifixion, we talked about being lifted up, he's talking about his death on the cross. I don't think that he's saying that at the crucifixion, finally, then the religious leaders will, get to, will, will understand that Jesus really is the Son of God. Historically, we know that's not true. Many of the leaders still thought that he was a sham after he died and rose again. Um, I think that what he's saying is, when you have lifted me up, you're actually playing a part in casting my light across a dark and a fallen world. Um, these, these men who are rejecting him and condemning him and trying to discredit him will, in fact, be an instrument used by God to propagate the gospel to the world. And I love how God does this. He's done this throughout history. He takes people and situations that seem so dark and so threatening to the light of the gospel, and then he uses them, he wields them as instruments to spread his light. Uh, a great example of this uh, is China. Last century, Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong was the communist leader in China last century, and he, he, there was this aggressive persecution of, of Christians within the country to the point where basically all foreign missionaries were out of the country, the organized church was no more. Mao Zedong believed that he had successfully, finally, rid China of Christianity. He, actually, he was actually quoted in a newspaper saying that he, he believed that Jesus would never have a presence again in China. Um, we can laugh at that statement now. Right? Because we, we, we've seen what's happened in China. He thought he was extinguishing uh, 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 Christianity, but what in fact what he was doing was the Christian church became this grassroots, organic, underground movement. What the, the church got refined, it was, it was purified, it, its roots were deepened, and what Mao Zedong was doing was not extinguishing Christianity, he was positioning it to, to uh, this, you know, experience this explosive growth that's uh, unprecedented. There's, what's happened in China, the great revival that's happened in China over the last 50 years, there's been nothing like it in recorded history. 
Mao Zedong, again, thought he was, he was uh, extinguishing it once and for all, blowing out the candle of Christianity. But, but he just set the, he set the nation on fire. I love how God does this. I think this is what Jesus is saying. He says, you don't believe I'm the light of the world? Just try and extinguish my light and watch what happens. Just watch what happens. Finish verse 28. That, uh, and that I do nothing on my own authority. I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. That's our text for the day. And I love how that ends, by the way. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the reason Jesus came into the world. That's the reason that Jesus stood up in the temple uh, that day to teach. And that's the reason why I sit here today proclaiming Jesus' words. That some might believe in him. Some might put their faith in him. It can happen here today. We're told in the scriptures that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So now what we need to do, as I mentioned, we're going to back up now. We're going to go back to verse 12. We're going to spend the rest of our time there. We're going to carefully reflect on the word of Christ. Again, all of this heated conversation between Jesus and the religious leaders was fueled by this statement. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, I'm going to do something. We're going to do something a little different today as we reflect on this passage. Here's what I'd like to do. I had a lot of fun last week um, hearing your guys' insight on the passage. We began our time today, just uh, last week, just by kind of opening it up and allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of speak to us, and then we kind of share just some, some brief insight from uh, different members of the congregation. I'd like to do something similar to that today. Um, rather than just me talking at you for about 40 minutes, what I'd like to do is just kind of make this a little more uh, interactive. You have a part to play. If you notice, when you guys came and you found your seat, there was a pencil sitting on the chair, right? Did you guys catch that? You also saw that the um, bulletin, instead of being handed to you at the door, we put it on your seat because we wanted to make sure that every one of you had one in your hands. Is anybody missing a bulletin? Okay. The really pretty one in the back. That's my wife, by the way. <laughs> um, if anyone else is, just raise your hand and we'll put one in your hands. But there's, there's a spot there where you can take notes. Here's what I'd like to do. What I want to do is, rather than me just talking at you um, and you passively listening, I want to take, take a few minutes. I want to take about five or six minutes and I'm going to stop talking. And we're going we're gonna to leave the scripture there on the screen. And would you prayerfully, patiently listen? The Bible says that one of, the primary, one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is he helps illuminate the scriptures uh, in, our, in our hearts, in our minds. And I've been praying all week that the Holy Spirit would do that as I've been thinking about possibly doing this today. Um, can we take about five or six minutes and can we just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? And can you write down, can you write down Every single thought that comes to you in regards to this passage. Maybe there's a specific uh, idea, there's a sp- some kind of insight. Every single thing. And here's what's probably going to happen for most of us. We're going to read through it once. You probably already read through it. You're going to write down in about 30 seconds to 45 seconds, you're going to write down what you think. About a minute or two, you're going to be thinking about it, and then you're going to get bored. And it's going to get a little awkward because it's going to be silent. All right? Um, can I encourage you? Keep at it. Don't stop. Keep looking. Look at each phrase. Look at each word. I want you to write down whatever insight comes to you. In, in a minute or two, what I'd like to do is I'd like to actually open it up and, and 
to just for a few minutes be able to share what maybe the Spirit uh, showed you in that passage. But maybe can I just ask one quick question first? Um, take a look at what you wrote down. Take a look at your paper. Look what you wrote down. What, what insight, uh, what thought um, maybe was the most enlightening to you in this, in this five or six minutes that we did? What, what, what point was the most hard-hitting, the most profound, the most encouraging, the most challenging, whatever it was? At what point within those five to six minutes did that hit you? You don't, you don't have to raise your hands on this, but, but consider for a second, just answer this question in your own mind. Did that thought or that insight hit you on the first reading? When you first read it, the first 30 seconds, is that when it hits you? What about, was it the first two or three minutes? Maybe was it right right there towards the end, five or six minute mark where, where something kind of hit you? Like, oh, I see. Oh, I mean, I, I understand. Isn't, isn't it neat to see when we take times like this, just to see the depth of the scriptures for one thing, but second, what the Holy Spirit is able to communicate to us if and when we make the space, we actually take the time to quiet our hearts and listen. That's hard to do, isn't it? To actually stop, take the time, ponder, quiet our hearts, listen to what the Spirit is just trying to communicate with us. There's so much noise, so many voices, so much volume going on in our head. If we would just take the time, if Joseph would come over to our house and play nice, pretty. <laughs> um, when we give when we give the spirit space, it's it's amazing what he can what he can teach us. Um, all right, so let's 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 take let's take a couple minutes, just like we did last week. Let's just take a few minutes. Please keep it just a handful of sentences. We can hear several people share. What's something that the Lord spoke to you? says that we will have it, that it belongs to us and we belong to him. And that we can't, it's not just we just look at him and he illuminates. Not that that's not enough, but he belongs to us. Yeah. And that's, that really hit home. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Sarah. illumination that nothing is hidden he knows all he brings everything into light we're free in the light Hmm. Hmm. that's good you hear that Jesus God, God Jesus spoke God speaks he's not silent 
the light of life is to know you have a positive future with God so that you can focus on the gift of each day. Thanks, Rob. That's great. Thank God for that. Okay. Um, I just wrote um, like a picture of heaven and how bright it is, how the same light that shines from God in heaven dwells within us. When we choose him, we receive his love, his light, his purpose for our lives. They were not just put on this earth to exist, but to affect the kingdom of God, sharing the good news, the gospel. Let us be ignited by the light. That's good. One more. Mikey. Bear with me as I try and read my words. <laughs> At night, evil is free to roam at its strongest. The truth of the morning brings light. With the light, you can see through the blindness of the darkness. Um, let me see what I wrote here. Having light then, let's see. Sorry, guys, my, work, my writing is so small. <laughs> uh, let's see. The truth of the morning is seen. If I have light, I have truth. I am not then living blind. I am living in light. Where then will my fears hide? Where then will my lies be residing? Um, having light does not, does not reside just in me. It is seen through me. My lies and fears are then free for all to see. While they may not be able to identify them by name, they can, they can recognize their abstract appearance. But have hope. The Lord does not give you light so that you desire the security of darkness or the false security of darkness, but that he can guide you to live in light and to live in truth in all things. It's okay. I, I've uh, spent a lot of time with this verse this last week. Um, so if I could, I just want to share with you a couple of uh, insights that um, came to me this week as I was studying. Um, I, th I thought it'd be neat for us to look today at the significance of the metaphor. You know, Jesus, this is a common theme, uh, not just for Jesus, but really for, for the Jews. Actually, the, the rabbis actually said that the Messiah's name would be light. 
um, there's a, some significance to the metaphor that's used here of light. So let me give you three very quick things that light, that light does. Uh, and, and, and we're going to know this, but this hopefully will serve as a good reminder. We know that light is the source of life. He actually says that you'll have the light of life. Light is the source of life. In the, in the same way that the physical light from the sun is the source of all of our biological life, Jesus is saying, I am the source of all of your spiritual life. Right? That the potential that's locked up within those seeds and apple seeds, all the, all the potential that's locked up within that can, that can you know, blossom and, and, and grow and be beautiful and, and, and bring food and bring nourishment. Um, all of this potential locked up within the seed is, is stuck there until it's first kissed by the light, until it's first touched by the light. And it's only it's when, it, when it engages the light is it able to, to bloom and to blossom. In the very same way, again, we are unable to live for that which we have been created until we first experience the light of Christ. Light is, is the source of life. Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. And he's essentially saying, it is every bit as necessary for you to drink in my glory as it is for the, for the world to drink in the, the glory of the sun. Light is the source of life. Light is also the source of truth. Mikey, you just... Use that word, caught my ear. Light's the source of truth. Um, after service, immediately after the service, uh, I'm going to run down these stairs. I'm going to throw my microphone at Joseph Garagosian in the back there uh, doing sound, and I'm going to run out the door, and I'm going to hop in the van with my family, and we're driving up to Oregon. And I'm so excited. We're just going to spend the week up there visiting family, and my wife and I are celebrating our 10 years, and we're going to spend a few days in Portland. Woo! Um, and... Um, God forbid, but let's say that on the drive up five this afternoon, there's a deer right, right in the smack dab in the middle of the road in front of me, okay? Um, and I'm driving. There are a couple of different ways. Follow me here. There are a couple of different ways that I can gain information about the presence of that deer in front of me, that I can learn about the presence of that deer. A couple of different ways. One of those ways is I could run into that deer, okay? That's one way to find out that the deer was there, okay? I could collide with it. I would prefer that that not be the way that I learn about the presence of that deer, right? We can agree there's better ways. The other way that I can learn about the presence of that deer is through light. Light bounces off of that deer, comes and hits my retina, and tells me there is a deer there. Tells me about the, the, the presence of the deer, the location of the deer, the, the size of the deer, okay? Um, and then I'm able to act accordingly, Right? I'm able to have an understanding, I'm able to understand truth about my reality. I'm able to understand my environment and then be able to act accordingly and swerve off to the other lane. Okay? Or, or uh, think of this Joe and Roxy are going to be house sitting for us this week. Um, I'm saying that because I don't trust any of you guys. I want to make sure you know my house is going to be watched. <laughs> um, but Joe and Roxy have been in our house a bunch of times, but when Joe wakes up at one o'clock this morning and has to use the bathroom and he rolls out of my bed um, <laughs> and goes and tries to find the restroom he's most likely he's been in our house a bunch of times but, but it's going to be dark he's probably going to be running into some stuff tripping over the toys and running into walls and, and all of that right um, because Joe isn't familiar with that environment and he's, he's living in the dark for Joe to have a better understanding of his environment and to be able to act accordingly what does he do? Flips on the light, and he wakes up Roxy, but he flips on the light, okay? He flips on the light. Light gives us a better understanding of our reality. So you, you understand the, the depth of the metaphor here. Light is the source of life. Light is also the source of truth. Jesus is saying, you want to understand your reality? You want to understand life? I will help, help you navigate through so you don't hit deers and, and so on. You understand? Okay, 
Light is also the source of our joy. Um, we've, we've talked here before about Ernest Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton was an explorer back last century who wanted to, to travel across the South Pole. And he wanted to walk across the South Pole, but he, his, he got in a shipwreck, was stranded in Antarctica with his crew. And his biographer said that, that out of all the things that he faced, out of all the dangers and out of all the, the struggles that they had, uh, more than starvation, more than uh, cold temperatures, the thing that was most difficult to face was the darkness. Exactly what Matt just described. What happens is in mid-May, the sun goes down and it doesn't come up again for two months. Just complete, utter darkness. And people who have, gone, who have, who have been in that will tell you it, it's enough to make you just go mad. Um, what, what his biographer said was that, you know, it's you, uh, you've, there's no direction. You don't know which way is forward. Therefore, you, you, you're living without direction. You, you forget what you look like. You're going to forget what you look like and what others look like. And you, you don't know, you can't really be sure of who's around you, friend or foe. So what happens is you begin to kind of lose your identity in a sense. And, and what happens is you begin to feel isolated because you don't know what's around you and you kind of curl up. And beyond that, it's, there's, there's, this, there's a sense of fear. There's a sense of de- desolation. More than what, what Shackleton said was more than a good jacket and more than food was what he wanted was for somebody to turn the light on. That would have brought him the peace. That would have brought him the comfort. That would have brought him the identity. That would have brought him the hope. That would have brought him the joy. So you see the the depth of this metaphor here. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I am the ultimate source of life. I am the ultimate source of truth. I am the ultimate source of joy. But it actually even goes deeper than this. To see the full weight of what Jesus said when he said, I am the light of the world. We have to understand the context. If you've been with us the last uh, few weeks, what you'll remember is that all of this teaching, all of this dialogue is happening at the Feast of Booths. Remember the Feast of Tabernacles? We're still there. That's, we're still in, in, that, in that feast here in our story, in our part of the narrative. Um, and so we're told that, that um, the, the Feast of Booths, uh, you know, all of Jesus and his, you know, his disciples were there. And the Feast of Booths, for, for those of you who might not be familiar, it's, it was an annual Jewish celebration where it was, happened every year. And the Jews would come together in Jerusalem and they would remember how God took care of them um, when, when he led them out of Egypt and they were wandering through the wilderness towards the promised land. They would get together every year and they'd have these big celebrations. It was a big party and there were all these rituals throughout the week that helped to remind them of how God provided for them and delivered them and guided them and so on. Um, and we're told now, in verse 20, John says, These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. That tells us something really significant. Because in the temple treasury during the Feast of Booths, there were several different gi- uh, these giant candelabras. And every night during the Feast of Booths, these candelabras were lit. And the, and the light that, that, that uh, illuminated from these candelabras was so bright and so brilliant that the light would kind of flood into that section of the city. Okay? Um, and, and when the candelabras were lit, the mu- musicians would start to play, and then uh, the people would start dancing all, all within the temple, and they wouldn't stop the dancing until the sun came up the next morning. It was just this massive overnight party all around, the, all around these candles. Why would they do that? Why, why, why would they uh, act that way? Well, they're remembering how it was God that was their light in the wilderness. God was their light in the wilderness. If you're familiar at all with the Exodus story, you'll remember that as they were leaving Egypt something suddenly appeared before the Israelites. We're told that in, in, in the daytime, it looked like a cloud. 
and, and, and it, it, it protected them from, from the scorching extreme heat of the desert sun. And then when the sun went down, th- that cloud would turn into a, a pillar of fire. Um, we're, we're told in, in Exodus that this, uh, when it, it was this cloud that when the Egyptians changed their mind and they started chasing after the Israelites, they wanted to wipe out the Israelites. This same cloud, the same pillar of fire came down and dropped between, acted as a barrier, dropped between the Israelites and their enemies. He protected them. We're told that when the Israelites eventually moved on to Mount Sinai, it was this cloud that came down and it rested over Mount Sinai. And it was, you know, it was thunder and it was flame. And it was, and, and it was, it was this that Moses went up into and received God's law. We know that when the Israelites built the tabernacle, the cloud rested over the tabernacle. And that when it was time for the Israelites to move on, the cloud would actually rise up and then it would begin moving. And then the Israelites, in obedience, would pack up their stuff and they would follow this cloud. And it, and it led them on and it led them on into, eventually into the promised land. This, this cloud of, of fire is one, one of the most mysterious things in all of the Old Testament. If you ever really stop to, to think about it, one of the most mysterious things. What was it? Exodus 13 tells us, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. The Lord went before them. It was the glory of God. It was God himself. God himself came down and gave light to his people. This is why they lit those candelabras every single night. This is, they were remembering when God actually came down and made his dwelling with his people. But you can imagine, even as they're celebrating all the different ways that God had, you know, in that cloud had, had delivered them and protected them and guided them and was their salvation. You can imagine that as they're celebrating that, what happened centuries earlier, that there had to have been a twinge of sadness. Because for years now, centuries now, God's glory had not been seen in that temple or among the people. In fact, centuries earlier, Ezekiel the prophet actually cried out, Ichabod. Ichabod literally means without glory. The glory is gone. The glory is gone, and it had been that way for centuries. So that's the context within which our story is found. This is the context. So now think about it. Jesus walks into the treasury in the temple. And he stands, he's standing in front of those candelabras, and he cries out. He's not doing a teaching here. It just says that at the top, top of his lungs, he just cries out, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I am the glory of God. Come down, making his dwelling with his people. I am the cloud that protects you from that scorching heat. I am the pillar of fire that brings light and salvation and protection and guidance. The glory of God is back. The glory of God has returned. It's me. It's me. I'm here. That's what Jesus was saying. Which, by the way, is John actually paused in verse 20 and said, and they didn't even arrest him. That's why, that's why it was so scandalous, because Jesus is saying, that, that, that pillar of fire, that's just pointing to me. I don't know about you guys, the last few chapters, we've been looking at what's happening in the Feast of Booths. It's just been so fascinating to me. We've seen that virtually every aspect of the exodus out of Egypt is pointing us to Jesus. The, the very lamb that was slain that began the exodus points us to Jesus, the true lamb of God. The bread of heaven that comes down, the manna that God provided that, that, that uh, satisfied the hunger of God's people. Jesus. It's Jesus. He, remember, we, we talked just a, a week or two ago about the rock that was struck from whom the living water comes, that our thirst, our eternal cosmic thirst might be quenched. It's Jesus. 
And now Jesus is saying the very glory of God in your midst that delivered you and then protected you and guided you and led you on, gave you light in the darkest of nights. It's me. I'm here. I've come. I'm back. So what do we do with that? What do we do with it? That's the question. It's all interesting. But what do we do with it? How do we respond? How do we experience that light? And Jesus tells us, Sarah, you mentioned this. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You want to have the light of life? I think every one of us do. You want to have the light of life? How do we have it? It tells us whoever follows me, that's how we have it. We follow him. Well, how does that, well, what does that mean? How do you follow Jesus? Well, for one thing, it means we walk in obedience. We walk in obedience. The light has shone in our hearts, and there are no more dark recesses in our hearts for our sins and our idols to hide anymore because God has shown his light in our hearts and exposes our sin for what they are and they, that they might be put to death. God shines his light in our hearts that our sins might be put to death. We walk in integrity now. We walk in the light. There's no more room for walking in the dark. And let me be blunt. There might be some of you here today that are still walking in the dark. You're living a part of your life in the dark. There might be some area of your life that you're still hiding. You're keeping tucked away where the light can't see it. You might be hiding something from your spouse. You might be hiding something from your parents. Maybe even hiding something from yourself. And that's hard to see, right? Are you walking in integrity today? Is there anything that you've hid and you don't want people to see? Are you, are you living that duplicitous life? Because maybe, just maybe today, Christ is shining his light in your heart into that very area of your life and he's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to repentance, to act, to confess your sin that you might be healed. Confess your sin. Expose it to your spouse. You may need to go home and have a hard conversation this afternoon. Expose it to your parents. Expose it to your friend. Let somebody in and let God heal you through the context of of loving relationships. He's calling you to obedience. He's calling me to obedience. In 1 John, it says, this is a hard hard verse. Get ready. If you say, I walk in the light, but you don't obey his commands, you're a liar. That's a hard one. If If you say, I walk in the light, but you don't obey his commands, you're a liar. As C.S. Lewis put it, C.S. Lewis said, there would be no sense in saying you trusted Jesus if you would not take his advice. Very simply put, there's no sense. There's no sense in saying that you trust Jesus if you don't take his advice. If you don't listen to him, you don't trust Jesus. So how does that happen? How, How do we trust and obey? How do we trust and obey? Remember I read to you guys earlier, faith comes from hearing Faith, faith, the word faith means it's just a, it's an active trust. It's a belief that actually impacts the way you live your life. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. To, to trust and obey, we must first listen to the word of Christ. And one of the primary ways that we hear Christ's word is actually through his word, through the scriptures. Do you have time set aside in your day to listen? Do you have time set aside in your week to listen to the word of God? May I encourage you this week, here's your challenge this week. There's a reason why, by the way, we did our five or six minute little reflection. Because I, I wanted you to taste it. I wanted you to experience what can happen if you just take the time and you stop and you listen. 
May I encourage you to take some time this week, open God's word prayerfully, patiently, listen to what the Spirit of Christ is telling us through his word, and then put into practice what you hear. So we obey. But secondly, uh, following Jesus means following his example. We obey his teachings, but we also follow his, his example. Jesus' life, as, we, as we're studying in the gospel, is absolutely beautiful. His trust in the Father, his love for people, his, his humility, his courage, it's absolutely beautiful. It's remarkable. Is there anything in your life that's beautiful? Is there, is there, is there, is, is, is there an aspect of your life that is just remarkable? Because Jesus' light attracted people like moth to a flame. Is your life attractive? When people look at your family, or when people look at you as an employee, when they, when they look at your work ethic as an employee, when they look at how you handle relationships, when they look at how you handle criticism, uh, when, 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 when people look at how you, how you spend your money or how you spend your free time, when they, when, they, when they see how you respond to people who wrong you, is there anything just remarkable about it? Is there anything amazing to be, does, has anybody just been curious, how in the world does that happen? Is there anything beautiful about your life? That's what we're called to. But let me finish by saying this. We're ending right here. I, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because the first step to following Jesus is not just following God's law. And it's not just following his example. The very first step to following Jesus. Many of you have taken that first step. There might be a few of you that haven't. The very first step to following Jesus. We're told it in, in, in verse 24. It says that we are to believe in him. The way he put it was, you have to believe that I am he. We add the word he, by the way, in our English translation. It Literally, he just says, you have to believe that I am. Believe that he is the son of God. We believe in Jesus Christ. And, and, and he even tells us the way to do that in verse 28. This is what he says. He says, when you see me lifted up, then you will know that I am he. You want to believe that Jesus is the son of God? Look at the cross, essentially. When you see me lifted up, then you will know that I am The first step to following Jesus is to see him lifted up on that cross. The first step to following Jesus is gazing, beholding the cross. And can I tell you what we we learn when when we gaze at the cross, what we behold? Is that you and I are so entrenched in our sin. We are so weak and frail. We are so lost that the only way for us to be saved is Jesus had to die for us. Jesus had to come as our substitute. Our only hope for salvation and our only hope to live a life for our creator is through the work of Jesus Christ. We say it like this. This is, a, this is again, one of those, another one of those hard statements. But we are so wicked that Jesus had to die for us. We are so evil Jesus had to die for us. But we are so loved that Jesus was glad to die for us. That's what the cross says. We are so evil, the only hope for salvation is if Jesus came in our place, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. We are so evil, Jesus had to die for us. That was the only way. But we are so loved that Jesus was glad to die for us. Look at the cross. That's the first step to following Jesus. Recognize your need for him, his love for you. Receive that. Believe in it. Before you and I can receive Jesus as a teacher or as an example to follow, we must first receive him as our Savior. Amen? Jesus says again in John 12, he says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you might become sons of light. While you have the light, believe in the light that you might become sons of light. The light of the world is here today and I hope that you've taken that step, you've received him, you believe in him that you might become a son of light or a daughter of light. Let's pray together.